Good evening and welcome to tonight's episode of The Mary Trump Show. Ask me anything with anything. I'm so glad you guys could be with me tonight. I know it's Thanksgiving, so uh, hopefully you're awake after all of the stuffing and mashed potatoes or whatever people are eating for Thanksgiving these days. I don't know. Um, I'm a vegetarian, so pretty much uh, in the last like 30 Thanksgivings I've ever had, that's, that was my meal, mashed potatoes and stuffing. Um, but truly the best part of any Thanksgiving meal. Uh, so since it's a holiday, um, I didn't, I didn't want to, uh, ask anybody <laughs> to give up their time and I figured it would be a good chance for me to spend some one-on-one -on -one time with you. Uh, so thank you again for hanging out. Um, I, before I start with your questions, uh, and I got a lot of them, so, uh, forgive me if I don't get to yours, I'll do my best to get to as many as I can. I just wanted to run through some, uh, a small sampling of, of news that we've gotten, I think literally in the last 24 hours. First of all, the department of justice is going to ask Mike Pence to testify. Uh, this is a good thing. I'm not entirely sure why it took almost two years for this to happen, but I suppose better late than never. And given the kind of slimy sanctimoniousness uh, with which Mike Pence has treated uh, an appearance, a potential appearance in front of the January 6th committee, which is to say... Uh, he's acted like he has a choice and that he's above it all and is not going to condescend to testify in front of the January 6th committee. It's, I, I truly hope that the DOJ can compel him to testify. It's very clear that he can fill in some uh, very glaring blanks. Um, we know first of all, that his boss was uh, essentially calling for his assassination. Oops. And we know that Pence knew enough not to trust some of the Secret Service agents uh, who wanted to whisk him away from the Capitol. Uh, a lot of people have interpreted Pence's decision to stay uh, in the Capitol basement surrounded by security uh, to his courage to make sure that the job of, of certifying the election got done. I have a slightly different take. I, I think that he knew uh, that if he left, um, things, things may not have ended well for him. So that's actually good news, hope potentially, again, because who knows? Uh, things, keep, things keep getting pushed back, don't they? We've also uh, learned that there was the seventh mass shooting in seven days in America, uh, in Virginia this time, and I believe a Walmart, and the uh, shooter was the manager of the store. Uh, of course, we don't know what the motive is, but it's very possible it was a workplace-related issue. Um, doesn't matter, six people, at least, as far as I know, are dead, many others wounded, and uh, this is now, at least in the last seven days, a daily occurrence in this country um, because we continue to allow 
a virulent minority of psychotic people. <laughs> Actually, they're not psychotic. They're sociopaths. Uh, to demand uh, that their their right to own a gun is more important than any of our rights to live. Uh, then, and I, I continue not to understand why there is not the political will uh, to, to make the changes necessary. Um, I've never understood the place that guns hold in, in American society. Um, I've never understood why the narrative about guns was, was um, allowed to become so distorted uh, but here we are, a country with 400 million guns and in excess of 40,000 gun deaths every year. Uh, so, yes, we're number one by far when it comes to those two metrics. The other really weird thing I heard is that last month, uh, the majority of COVID deaths, something like 58% of COVID deaths, were among vaccinated people uh i need to dig into that a little bit more but that that falls under the he heading of um really deeply troubling <laughs> so i i just i don't i don't know what to make of it um but there we are uh so hopefully it has something to do with the new variation and they, they can fix it but uh as somebody who's who's had all five shots i'm feeling a little less confident than i was um yesterday before i i, I read that particular headline uh all right so let's uh forge ahead shall we and thank you again for all of your questions i hope i get to yours so from Teresa, all republicans talk about is voter fraud no one in the media has asked what they've done about mark meadows he literally committed voter fraud by voting in two states. I think it was his wife, too. Um, Mark Meadows, one of Donald's many former chiefs of staff. Uh, yeah, he. Uh, I don't remember which states, honestly, because the only thing that matters about that is that he voted twice, which is illegal. Um, the other thing about this issue, though, is that the right has created a crisis that doesn't exist. The real problems in this country are voter suppression, which can take the form of gerrymandering, or it can take the form of throwing voters off the rolls for no reason. Or in some states, they start um, calling the rolls, taking people off the rolls who just didn't vote in the last election. Like I personally didn't realize the franchise was something that expired, but you know, Republicans don't want people to vote because they know that the more people vote, the less likely it is they're going to win anything. Um, voter fraud is practically non-existent. The most recent study I saw uh, showed that in the last, I don't know, decades worth of elections, something a, a billion votes in a billion votes cast. The number of votes cast fraudulently was something like 35, which is 
I'm just spitballing here because I don't really know, but it's something like 0.0000016%. So, so vanishingly small that none, no election would be impacted. So again, it's a myth that the right has created to give themselves cover give themselves this false rationale for coming down on um, voters and, and basically making it either more difficult or more impossible for them to vote. You know, they, it's, it's a problem in search, a solution in search of a problem. And that's what they've hit on. Democrats need to do a much better job educating people about this um, plus, of course, in addition to voter suppression, I mean, yeah, sorry, voter suppression and including gerrymandering, another problem we have to deal with is voter subversion, which played a big role in the midterms. And I think it actually did work in our favor, but it's still something we need to look out for is voter subversion being um, things like what, what Carrie Lake is trying to, to pull off um, by not conceding. She's claiming that the somehow the election was fraudulent and and just casting doubt uh which decreases voters confidence in um the fairness of elections which is of course very dangerous to any democracy that wants to survive i uh, thank you Teresa, for that uh from david donald's example has been teaching gop politicians to be transparent outright con artists this reminds me so much of those asinine childhood bullies always loudly accusing the innocent kid of having started it. How do how can we get people to get it? Well, I mean, do people not get it? They are being transparently awful, right? They're being transparently um, racist and anti-Semitic and homophobic. Um, we talk about this on the show, on the Tuesday show all the time. Uh, they, politicians engage in what's called stochastic terrorism. They attack rhetorically, uh, marginalized groups, uh, like the LGBTQ community. And the next thing we know, uh, some, some white guy with an AR 15 goes into a nightclub and, uh, murders a lot of people. So I, I, I have to be honest, the, the problem isn't that people don't get it. The problem is that people like it. Remember when Donald started his campaign in 2015, 2016, when, when voter, potential voters were asked uh, why they liked him, the answer was always some version of he tells it like it is. Well, if somebody, you know, in other words, being honest, which is kind of hysterical because he's such a liar. But the one thing that, you know, the things that he is honest about are his hatred of others, you know, his, his anti-immigrant hatred, his anti-Semitism, his racism, his homophobia. Um, when people are being honest about that stuff, I'm not entirely sure you should give them credit for that, but that's what his supporters do. So I think the bigger issue is, um, what do we do to uh, kind of dilute the power of those people who support him because they like his hatred? Uh, let's see, from Ashley, 
What mainstream media outlets are on the side of democracy? Any of them? Where should we turn for uh, for information? Mayor Trump show, good place. Uh, you know, Tuesdays when when we have the Nerd Avengers assemble, uh, we get lots of different perspectives. Yes, we agree a lot of the time because we actually believe in democracy, and uh, we don't like corruption, and we don't like all of the hatred uh, the right engages in. So yes, we're all pretty much on the same page, but we all have different levels. Sorry, we all, we all have different perspectives on the issue. We all have, we all come at this with different areas of expertise. Uh, so yes, you're going to get our opinions uh, on stuff, but you're also going to get the facts. You know, we don't make up our own facts. Um, there are plenty of online news magazines that that give great information like i'm thinking of talking points memo uh, mother jones the new republic are great sources for information um there are excellent shows on um msnbc i don't watch all of them so i i'm only i you know so there may be some i don't watch that are worth watching uh there are certainly some i don't watch that you should never waste your time on like the friggin morning joe um uh, anything having to do uh, anything involving chuck dodd but uh nicole wallace joy reed lawrence o'donnell alex wagner uh stephanie rule you know those are all solid shows that deal in facts and uh often have very well-informed uh professional diverse panels uh and then other podcasts um Deep State Radio is great uh, with uh, David Rothkopf as the proprietor there. Sisters-in-law, great podcast. Um, uh, there are a lot. <laughs> I'm sort of kind of, there's so many, but you know what I'm saying. You know, you know uh, that's enough to start. And um, oh, Muller Giroux, Daily Beans, uh, and, and they all have very different vibes. So uh, check them out, but always start here because we have your backs. Uh, from Heather, and I know you asked about the mainstream media, but the there really isn't much in the mainstream media anymore. So I think the future for us is an independent media. It just is. The New York Times continues to uh, embarrass itself and endanger American democracy. The Washington Post is having some really bad moments these days as well. So, um, you know, I'm not saying ignore them entirely because there are excellent journalists at both of them, but, uh, I would never use either one of them as my only news, news source. That's for sure. From Heather, uh, the working class GOP electorate seems like it's being used by their party leaders and the money behind the scenes. Is this a fixture of our politics or are there ways we can wake these people up that they would be better off with Democrats? Um, I've actually been asked versions of this question fairly frequently, and I, I think it kind of depends on, um, where, where they are. For example, if somebody voted for Donald twice, I think we, it's safe to ignore them forever. There's no, there's no argument. Well, I'm sure there's plenty you can argue about with such a person, but there's no reasoning with such a person. I don't think there's any 
such thing as having a reasonable debate with such a person. So I think it's, it's a waste of time to try to persuade them. Uh, the problem is that historically, uh, the, whichever party has been the party of rich white people, which used to be the democratic party and is now the Republican party has, has done a very good job of convincing white working class people that they're better off joining forces with rich white people in order to, um, in order to be part of uh, or to exist under the umbrella of white privilege, which is considered a very valuable asset. I mean, their very whiteness is considered an asset. That's such an alliance is much more uh, powerful um, in the long run than joining forces with black working force people. I mean, it's it's insane, of course, but it's been very effective and it's been going on since uh, before the Civil War. So it's so deeply ingrained now that, uh, you know, it's it's hard to know what how to how to dislodge that idea until more white people start understanding that by clinging to their privilege, they're making it impossible to right the wrongs, the historical wrongs of this country. And instead we just keep perpetuating. Right. Uh, you know, you just, you look at charts every single time there's a democratic president, the economy does better. Every single time there's a Republican in the white house, the economy suffers horribly. <laughs> it's, they're in black and white and yet you know we still we still have this problem uh from denise post pelosi who would you recommend the democratic congress turns to for leadership in the new session why i i have to be honest i'm quite um happy with the three people they have chosen um hakeem jeffries is going to run to replace Nancy Pelosi is, is Democratic leader in the House. Um, I don't remember. I'm sorry. I don't remember off the top of my head the names of the other two people. But, um, you know, I've read enough about them to, to one, to be impressed by them. And three, two, one, three, two. I don't know. I, I think I need to go watch some old episodes of uh, Sesame Street so the count can set me right. And... Uh, I can count to three properly. Actually reminds me of um, the scene, the the holy hand grenade scene in, in uh, Monty Python, the Holy Grail. If you don't know what I'm talking about, shame on you, because you should have the entire script of Monty Python, the Holy Grail memorized. If you have seen that movie, which I believe is the greatest comedy of all time, then um, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Anyway, secondly, uh, what I... I like about the three of them is that they are a team uh, in in the way that Pelosi, James Clyburn, and Steny Hoyer were a team. And more importantly, the fact that they're able to um, to rise up to leadership positions is because not only is Nancy Pelosi stepping down as leader, who, and again, 
Nancy Pelosi, greatest speaker of the House in American history. But so too are Stanley Hoyer and Jim Clyburn, uh, which was not just necessary, but really impressive that they understand this moment, this historical moment, and are ready to pass the torch. Um, from Julia, we talk about democracy, and I think a lot of Republicans are moving in that direction mentally when they talk about freedom. How do we bring together these two ideas and show them that popular sovereignty and anti-fascism are what they truly mean or want? You know, I um, this is complicated by the fact that a lot of people on the right don't want that. Uh, you know, it's they want freedom for themselves, but they don't want it for other people. Uh, there's a significant majority, sorry, minority of people in any country, in any culture, who have what we call authoritarian personalities. Uh, and what that means is that they are more comfortable following authoritarian leaders because they don't like change. Diversity makes them very uncomfortable. They like the status quo. They're um, backward looking, not forward looking. And uh, that's, that's what this particular version of the Republican Party is appealing to. I do think, though, that we ca can do more uh, to help people understand what the difference you know, what day-to-day -day life in America looks like if democracy goes away to be replaced by autocracy, fascism, what have you. Um, part of the problem is always that uh, some people really only care about their own self-interest, uh, which is why when we're in a situation in which the... Um, the degradation or the disintegration of voting rights uh, isn't isn't a bigger issue is because most of the time it's only having an impact on voters of color and white people don't care that much about them. So we, we definitely need to figure out how to um, get this information out there in a way that appeals to people's own self-interest because let's face it, most people are selfish. And only interested in their own self-interest. Uh, let's see. From Shauna. Protest is essential to democracy. It's done amazing things to move us forward. What deserves protest the most these days? And what's the most effective way to make our voices heard? Um, so, so much deserves protest. Jeez. Uh, where do I even start? The voting rights issue is extremely important. Um, the, uh, the so Supreme Court Stobbs decision in which uh, we're heading to a point where over half of the women in this country are going to be second-class citizens and pregnant, pregnant people are going to be forced to give birth. Mm, you know, uh, I mean, I, if, if that's not worth protesting, I'm not sure what else is. I'm not really sure why there haven't been more protests or any, I, it's a, that, that one confuses me a little bit, but um, that's absolutely worth getting into the streets for. Um, although, you know, sometimes in America, it's like things have to get 
worse than you can possibly imagine before um, protests get activated. Uh, so I, and, and personally, I, I'm a little bit mystified why there isn't, hasn't been more um, vehement protest about the, the lack of accountability around January 6th, uh, around all of the crimes that the Trump administration committed and has has yet to be held accountable for, um, but something something tells me that in the not too distant future something even more egregious will happen, and you know the hoping that that it will get people um, out on the streets. It, same thing with uh, like how many mass shootings do we need before people before people are like uh, you know what maybe we should be protesting this too. Very, very weird to me. Uh, from Kim, do we need more states or at least equally sized districts, groupings of people? The House and Senate may have made sense when we had 13 colonies, but why not have proportional representation when we have 300 million people? Um, because uh, Republicans exist. And in order to change the, the, the process to uh, change the constitution to add an amendment to the constitution is so onerous. It will never happen. This country is far too evenly divided. And I, by that, I don't mean in terms of, um, you know, uh, policy because, you know, for most, most policies that would make this country a better place, as many as 70% of American people are all on the same page, but you know, right now, or up until the midterms, we had a 50-50 Senate and the 50 Democrats in the Senate represented 41 million more people than the 50 Republicans. And you need a supermajority plus a supermajority of states. And it's, you know, same thing. I, I think, I don't know, I don't know what the new numbers are, but um, the governorships uh, are fairly evenly divided or the i believe there are more republican governors so it's just uh technically not going to happen what can happen to your point is that we can make washington dc a state washington dc has two hundred thousand more people than flipping wyoming and i think it also has more people than utah i'm not sure about that but it's, you know, it's more populated than at least two or three states. So we have 700,000 people who have no representation in Congress. Um, and the reason they don't is because it's a majority black city that I think votes Democratic like 98% of the time. Um, and Republicans don't want that. Puerto Rico should be a state. Uh, and those... I. Those two things definitely need to happen in the not too distant future. Um, I mean, personally, I think that South Dakota, North Dakota should be one state. Um, but again, it's never going to happen. So we have to we have to try to focus on on the reality of the fact that our founders did not have the vision uh, to realize that that um, urban centers were you know most of the population would be concentrated in urban centers and there would be lots of land with very few people on it. Um, but as, as a friend of mine, who's a constitutional uh, lawyer <laughs> once said to me, 
the founders were a bunch of idiots. Um, also, most of them were slaveholders and were totally cool with giving slaveholding states more power than non-slaveholding states. And uh, we're still we're we're still paying the price for them. Um, with a divided. I'm sorry, from Jess. Uh, with a divided Congress, what should President Biden and the Senate priorities be over the next two years? Judges, judges, judges. Um, that that has to be, and the reason I say that is because it uh, confirming judges only requires 51 votes. So even if the worst thing happens and Herschel Walker wins in Georgia, which, by the way, we can't allow it happen. Not just because he's he's just appalling, and the he his presence in the Senate would just just be a black mark. But that's so that's true with so many people: J.D. Vance, Josh Hawley, Tom Cotton, Ted Cruz. Well, uh, any Republican, but because the difference between fifty and fifty-one is absolutely enormous. With 50, there's power sharing. Kamala Harris gets taken away from her duties as vice president. Um, and, you know, it's one extra seat to help us get through the next election where many, many more uh, Democratic Senate seats are up. So um, let's, you know, since we have such a slim majority, let's let's work with get let's get done what we can get done with only 51 votes. And obviously, it's if it's 50-50, Kamala Harris casts the deciding vote. Um, beyond that, though, uh, hoping that either Manchin or Cinema, mm, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say, it comes to their senses. That's not going to happen. But if by some miracle, one of them can be convinced, maybe maybe Cinema, because she has to know at this point that she will never win re-election because Democrats hate her and Republicans will never vote for somebody who was a Democrat. Uh, and everybody hates her. Republicans hate her, independents hate her, Democrats hate her. So maybe just the idea that her political future is at stake will convince her to do something right for change. Um, ideally, it would be lovely to get rid of the filibuster. We need to pass, we need to codify Roe at the federal level. Um, so those would be my, two, oh, sorry, of course, also equally more important, if not more important in the long run, uh, restoring the Voting Rights Act, um, and undoing the incalculable damage Chief Justice John Roberts has done <laughs> to the Voting Rights Act. Um, oh, hang on, I just lost, there we go. From... Joan, it seems to me that the elephant in the room in your discussions about media failures is capitalism. All these media corporations are capitalists with interlocking boards of directors. America will never resolve its problems through them. Can politics change the system? How actually Brian talks about that a lot. Um, he's he's very much uh, on the record uh, calling out corporate media and the dangers inherent in in leaving it in making news um a pro for-profit industry um i don't i don't know what the i don't know what the solution is but maybe bringing back the fairness doctrine um there have there has to be 
there have to be legislative moves that can be made. Like, for example, I do not understand why social media is unregulated to the extent that it is. I do not understand why Twitter and Facebook aren't subject to the same uh, strictures that that broadcast media are. I, do, I don't understand that at all. But leaving the government aside, um, what really needs to happen is people on the left or billionaires who uh, who care about the future of democracy need to create alternatives to Fox and OAN and Newsmax. They need to create alternatives to CPAC and all those, you know, pro-fascist um, organization, Turning Point USA, whatever. Uh, the, the left has nothing comparable. Uh, so I think that's where that's where the biggest changes uh, need need to be made because otherwise the advantages the right has um, are at this point enormous and seemingly insuperable, uh, and we we need to stop going into these fights with um, both hands tied behind our back. Okay. Um, from Yesenia in Brooklyn, many of us are meeting up with friends and family with terrible political opinions over the holidays. Do we engage, try and convince them, or is there a method you would suggest to lead them back to light? Uh, again, this is actually similar to a question I asked earlier, but I'm answering it because it's Thanksgiving and, um, you know, we've got the winter holidays coming up as well, and and a lot of people do have to uh, do have to break bread with family members who have very different points of view from theirs. I don't, <laughs> um, so I guess that puts me at an advantage. So it's easy for me, I think, to to argue that one should just ignore them. But I, I know that's not always possible. And, and sometimes, you know, you still love the person and feel like they've just been misled and have gone down, gone down the wrong path. Uh, however, it, it again depends on how far gone they are. You know, uh, if they voted for Donald twice and are going to his rallies and are going to vote for him again, I, I don't, I honestly don't think it's worth having the discussion. Uh, I think the safest alternative always is to just set up boundaries. You can't talk about politics. Um, and, and I think that's fair because you can just as easily say to them, nothing you say will change my mind. So why should we keep butting heads? Let's just go have more stuffing. Uh, from Paula. Why on earth is the World Cup in the bigoted and anti-democratic cutter? Yeah, that, <laughs> that right there is that right there is a question. Um, isn't this the story all media should be telling? Why are our international organizations that are supposed to be bringing people together making moves like this? Is it only about money? Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes, it's only about money. Um, but it, this is a, a long-standing trend, and and we see it in things that don't necessarily have to do with money. It's 
you know, once somebody's in a position of power, they just, you know, no matter what they did to get it, no matter what kind of crimes they've committed, it all just gets normalized. And um, we forget about the problem and just focus on the entertainment uh, or just come to the conclusion that it's inevitable that this person is still in power or that the World Cup is in Qatar, right? But again, this is what will it take, right? It's not Cutter's the problem, of course, but in this situation, it's that Cutter was chosen. It's that FIFA thinks that this is okay. Um, it and that they're willing to to make no uh, demands about you know, what is allowed, what to happen, and what kinds of discrimination aren't allowed. So we saw this in uh, you know the 2022 Ol Olympics or in Beijing, and um, obviously China has its own terrible history with human rights violations, but there was a, a specific. This was a moment in which there was a specific individual whose cause could have been taken up by big sponsors, which could have pressured China to do the right thing in this one instant. Uh, Peng Shui, professional tennis player and has been an Olympian, was essentially disappeared by China. And she wasn't retired. I mean, it would... Even if she had been retired, it would be terrible. But she was still an active player. We knew this had happened. And, you know, she had spoken out against a very powerful Chinese official. And essentially, she just was gone. And in the few times we did hear from her, it was obviously under duress. And it was obviously scripted. It's a perfect opportunity to put pressure on China to do the right thing. And, of course, nothing happened because... The Inter International Olympic Committee is as much a corrupt organization as FIFA. So yeah, that that is a that's a steep mountain to climb. Um, I personally, um, I, I guess it's just individual action. It's just it's pretty depressing that a lot of people I know are watching the World Cup, even though they know they know what's going on, but they like they like their uh, they like their football. Um, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't watch a tennis match that was being held in China, but also what, what difference does it make? It's not like that's going to change anything, but something, something's got to give you would think. Um, but, uh, I'm afraid that right now nothing is going to, so sorry. Um, let's see, uh, from Ariel. In, um, where are you, Ariel? San Francisco. Nobody wants to see Donald in office. Yes, this is true. Uh, but are there worse potential candidates we need to be fighting first? Better the devil you know. Actually, no. <laughs> it is not better. They're all the same. They're all as bad. Um, there is no 
good Republican alternative. So, you know, let's not go down that road um, because just think of it this way. Right now, the Republican Party is talking about, you know, what a loser Donald is and they're blaming him for their losses in the midterms. And yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe he is responsible. Maybe his handpicked candidates did bring them down. Um, I don't care. But if, um, if they'd won, right. If, uh, Oz had pulled it out or, you know, one or two other Republicans, um, if they won a slightly bigger majority in the House, do we really think that they would be complaining about Donald Trump? No. And we know that in a couple of months, they're all going to be back on board. Um, and and also, by the way, if you think that DeSantis is any better or um, any, any of them, they're not. They're not. And I know that Liz Cheney is a hero to a lot of people because of what she did with the January 6th committee. And yeah, awesome that she, uh, you know, in this very limited way, decided to stand up for democracy and found a line she wasn't willing to cross and, and did sacrifice at least uh, her political career, at least in the short term. But if, you know, if you don't think she has national ambitions in the future, uh, not sure what to tell you. But remember, Liz Cheney voted with Donald like 93, 94, 95% of the time. She's against the Voting Rights Act. Uh, she would have, she was against supporting the Dreamers. Um, <laughs> you know, she's terrible. She's absolutely terrible. I guarantee that most of you listening to this, watching this right now, probably disagree with uh, Liz Cheney on, on policy 99.9% of the time. So there is not one good Republican alternative. We need to vote in Democrats at least, at least until my great-great-grandchildren have children. Uh, let's see. From Janice. <clears throat> A foul musk now hangs over Twitter, but it's probably the biggest platform to share ideas and whatever people, or at least take on the fascist. Should we be looking for other places to go or is it time to step up our game? Step up our game. We are not going anywhere. This is Democrats do this far too often. They leave. Um, when it was announced months ago that uh, what's his name? Musk was going to buy Twitter. I lost like, I don't know, like 20,000 followers in a day on Twitter. <laughs> uh, and this was months ago, like, but when he just announced it, it wasn't even, it would, it would have taken a, as we know, it took a very long time for the deal finally to go through. And then over time, like it became questionable. Is he going to, will he not guy get followers back? And now he bought Twitter and then he activated Donald's account again. And I lost 30,000 followers. Why? Where, you know, we, yes, it's, it's actually become a much more difficult place to be. I have to be honest. The cruelty is is quite something, uh, you know. I, I mean, the the level of not just the level of cruelty, but the the amount of it. There are so many more people on Twitter now who are just horrible human beings. 
Um, you know, I, I posted <laughs> my, my daughter just turned 21 a month ago and I, I posted a picture of her of, of me holding her when she was a baby. And um, one of the very, a lot of the comments were, as you can imagine, very, very kind uh, and sweet. And some somebody decided to take the opportunity of my wishing my daughter happy birthday on her 21st birthday uh, to, to tell me that um, I was a, well, I'm not going to repeat it, but it was, had nothing, let's put it this way, it had nothing to do with my daughter's birthday. So, yeah, it's not fun to be on Twitter all the time, but it is an important place and it's our place. We built it. He owns it, he's destroying it, but it belongs to us. For me, Twitter's, yes, it's it's a place, I don't get my news there, but it's it's a news aggregate. So it, it points me in the directions I need to go to to be informed in the way I need to be informed right but it's also a community um especially because of covid i i have so many people who were close friends of mine whom i met on twitter and i still haven't met them in person it is a phenomenal phenomenally powerful tool for community building and yeah they're trying to you know ruin our community but what what do we gain by letting them do it? And one way to do that is to get is, is to leave, you know. And then that would be us ruining it. So, um, I my hope is because there's so much money involved that's it it'll be put into some kind of receivership and and uh, some adults will take over because I I don't I just don't know how much longer continue can continue without ad revenue. <laughs> Uh, I mean, he's doing his best, but you know, not so between losing ad revenue and um, letting back in the worst of the worst and also disrespecting the people who create the value. The people who create the value on Twitter are the people with massive followings who participate. And um, he doesn't understand that because he's an idiot. He's a terrible businessman and he's actually in the process of destroying two businesses. One Twitter, which again, not the best business model, but it wasn't, you know, lose, it wasn't losing hundreds of millions of dollars a day, which it is now thanks to Musk or maybe not a day, but it's losing a lot of money, a lot more than it was before he came on. And he's tanking the value of Tesla, which actually, as far as I know, was a very successful company. So, <clears throat> sorry so we stay <clears throat> we stand and fight <clears throat> and we stop ceding territory and then we lose our voice so on this note because i don't want to subject you to this um i'm gonna leave it there thank you so much for all of your questions <laughs> and um I guess I'm not going to talk for a few days so that I'm uh, up and up and running next Tuesday. But seriously, thank you for being here. I, I, I apologize if I didn't get to all of your questions, um, but you know, I try and hopefully next time when, when we do another one of these, um, I hope you all have 
continue to have a wonderful Thanksgiving and a great holiday weekend. We, of course, will be back, the Nerd Avengers and I, uh, next Tuesday at uh, 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific at youtube.com slash Politicon. And then next um, Thursday, my uh, guest for our regular one-on-one interview show is uh, the phenomenal Asha Rangappa. I'm so looking forward to talking with her. That's at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Also at youtube.com slash Politicon. While you're on Politicon's YouTube page, please subscribe to Politicon. It doesn't cost you anything. It just helps us get more people on board. Uh, while you're there, also like the episode, leave a comment if you want. If you click on that bell, uh, you will be sure to get uh, new videos whenever they drop, not just our regular shows, but whenever we have uh, live streams of speeches or committee meetings, um, emergency sessions, etc. And of course, you can listen to everything, all of all of our shows on uh, in podcast form on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And be greatly appreciated if you could give the show a five star review because it does help other people find the show. And uh, yes, not going to forget. Uh, the uh, Mary Trump show will have its very first live on stage performance uh, at Dynasty Typewriter in Los Angeles on Monday, December 19th at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. And uh, Jen and Waj will be joining me. We will have a local special guest. I'm so excited. I'm, our, our plan is have, to have this be the first of many. Uh, so I really, really hope to see you there. And if not there, at one of our other shows down the road, um, we're going to do our best to come to cities near you. And that does it for tonight's episode of The Mario Trump Show. Thank you again so much for being here. Have a wonderful weekend. Uh, we will see you back here on Tuesday with the Nerd Avengers. In the meantime, please stay safe and be kind. Thank you.